Guys, welcome to High Point Church. My name is Andy. I'm the lead pastor here at High Point. We're in a series, as you might imagine, called Sweep the Leg, all about Satan's cheap shots, what you and I can do to overcome those. What does it look like for you and I to walk in victory? What does it look like for you and I to, to have the kind of relationship with Jesus, with God, where we're walking with him and aren't subject to or find ourselves falling into the traps every single day or every single week or every single month with the same things that Satan's doing? Which, by the way, in case you don't know, his bag of tricks is nothing new. He is doing the same exact things to you that he did when you were 15 that he does when you are 35. He is not an inventor of temptation. He just simply goes about and he manipulates things and he's a deceiver. And he throws cheap shots. Which is why you find yourself falling into the same kinds of temptation at the same periods of your life, in the same season of your life, over and over and over again, same kind of thing. We've been reading through the book of Timothy. It's a letter that Paul wrote uh, to a young man who was leading a church in Ephesus. And congratulations, by the end of today, you will have pretty much read through the entire book of 1 Timothy. Aren't you pumped about that? Go ahead, go ahead and put your hands together. You have read through a book of the Bible. We have taught through it, and you didn't even know it. First Timothy, we're going to be in chapter 6 today. Before we do, um, if you have a Bible, turn there. You can follow along on the screen behind me. We have some people who are out of town today, and, and they're at Universal Studios right now. It's a tough life. I realize that for some. They're there for the, if you've ever been to Six Flags, the Haunted Deal, the Hollywood Horror Nights at Universal. That's where they are. And uh, when they come back, you can punish them for that and, 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 and poke fun. Although it is pretty awesome, I won't lie. <laughs> it's pretty sweet. If you haven't been following the news, though, you may not be aware of something that's happening at Universal Studios right now. I just want to make you aware of what's going on. This is my service to you as your pastor. A New York man is filing a lawsuit after a visit to Universal Studios because he was denied a refill on his soda cup. He purchased a refillable cup for $16.99. But when he went back to the soda dispenser, the automated machine displayed a message that he could not refill his cup twice in 10 minutes. That is demonic right there. <laughs> Couldn't refill his cup twice in 10 minutes. In other words, he had to wait 10 minutes to get a refill. Whew, that is just wrong. <laughs> Given the fact that he paid $16.99 for the ability to get free refills, this is an understandable outrage. And so this gentleman is seeking not a reimbursement, he is not looking for free passes to Universal. He is demanding and waiting for a jury trial against Universal Studios. He's committed. This man is giving Universal a taste of their own medicine, and this medicine has 
unlimited refills. You like that? This man is looking for sweet, sweet victory. No, no jokes. No one likes the buns either. I'm going I'm to keep going one more time. This man is thirsty for justice. Yes. I'm here to serve, ladies and gentlemen. I am here to serve. Now, you are sitting here. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that none of you have sued Universal Studios over something like an, a cup that has not refilled or that you had to wait 10 minutes for. But I am going to submit and suggest to you that many of you have found yourselves doing some pretty crazy things when it comes to money. Money causes us to lose our minds, does it not? How many of you have lost, without raising hands, more than a night of sleep over money? I bet every single person in here, even those of you who you know, aren't bearing the weight of having to pay all of your bills yet, you may be in high school and still have felt the weight of money. What am I going to do? What are my parents going to do? Am I going to be able to dot, dot, dot? More than a few of you have had a fight with a spouse over money. The number one cause for divorce is literally money. It is not adultery, as many people assume. It is money, the strain and tension of money. Even if you're not married, many of you have had fights with roommates over people not paying their share of the rent or bills or leaving their junk out or whatever it is you fight about. We get stressed over money. And we do crazy things when it comes to our finances. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6 because I would love to, to I want to encourage you today. That even though we live in 2019 and the, the demand of, of finances, they're different than it was 2,000 years ago, people still got themselves caught and snared in this pursuit of wealth, in this pursuit of the pursuit of riches, and, and they didn't know how to handle the strain and weight of money. That was 2,000 years ago. The Bible, in case you didn't know, has so much for you. It is not just this antiquated book about people who lived 2,000 years ago who have no way to relate to your life. It simply isn't true. God's word is alive and it is active. And it's just as active today as it was then. 1 Timothy chapter 6, 2 through 5. Paul has been writing to Timothy and he's helping straighten out this young church who's got some leadership issues. There are people teaching bad things that are just not true. There are leaders in place that shouldn't be. They don't have the character to back it up. So, so Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's letting him know, here are the qualifications you should be looking for in, in, in leaders that you're promoting. Also, here's some things to be mindful of. Here's what it looks like to honor leaders in your midst. Here's what it looks like to, to care for widows. Here's what it looks like to not find yourself shackled to money. Because this was an issue in Ephesus, one of the biggest cities in Asia. These are the things you are to teach and insist on. 
If anyone teaches otherwise and doesn't agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching. Excuse me, let me back that up. I didn't read that right. If anyone teaches otherwise and doesn't agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus and to godly teaching, they are conceited and they understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. These are heavy words. I want you to hear this. Because there is a gospel that is taught that Paul is hitting and he is hitting full force right now. There is a gospel that is taught, the, the, the health and wealth gospel, where if you do this, you get this. That by you living right, God owes you finances and wealth and health and money. And many times people sink their teeth into what we call a false gospel. And Paul makes it clear, if you teach something different than what I am about to lay out for you or what I've written in this letter, you are wrong. He's direct, isn't he? I'm not saying that. Paul is saying that. The Bible is teaching that. You've got to have, you know, you've got some backbone when you start out chapter 6 and you say, you know, if anybody disagrees with me, they're conceited and they don't know anything. I feel like you're, you're talking to your child right here. You know, when you're, you, you have a 10-year-old like I do who thinks they know everything. And you're like, you, you, let me help you out. You know nothing about the world. You don't know anything. You don't know how it works yet, child. Buckle up and listen to your father right now. You do not understand how the world operates. You will. And if you disagree with me, just kidding, I don't go that far. <laughs> In the very last book of the Bible, it's called Revelation. We see John, who, who, who writes the book of Revelation. He's, he's literally getting a revelation from God. And all of these churches that we read about that are receiving letters in the New Testament, they get an evaluation, so to speak, in the book of Revelation. And there's an angel, you know, over each church. And we can get into the doctrine and theology of what that means and what it looks like. But long story short, all of these churches are kind of getting tested to see if they really have stayed true to loving Jesus and following him. And this church is the very first church that's listed in the book of Revelation, the church that Timothy helped oversee and pastor. Revelation chapter 2, 1 through 4. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. We're, I realize that's difficult to wrap your head around. Just track with me here. I know your deeds your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. We literally are reading about that very thing in the book of Timothy right now. 
and they're being accredited for it. They're being praised for it. They're not putting up with things that are wrong being taught. You have persevered and you've endured hardship for my name and you've not grown weary. This is a church that can work and can do and they haven't grown tired doing all of these things for God. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Meaning with all of these incredible things going on, there is something that's happened in your heart where you're, the love that you had for one another and for Jesus has slipped and you, you didn't see it, you didn't catch it. And you're doing all of these things, but you're doing it out of your own strength and out of your own heart and out of your own might. And you're able to do it and you're not growing tired and it's amazing, but without realizing it. Your heart has wandered. You don't love Jesus the way you think you do. But what does a church like that love? I think the answer is back in the book of Timothy. Chapter 6, verse 10. Paul is writing his last remarks to this church. And what does he need to remind them of? Of all the things he could say. To this young church, he says that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Ephesus is about 250,000 people at this time. One of the greatest wonders of the world, the temple to the goddess Artemis was there. It's an ancient wonder of the world. It's a shipping city, a port. It has a thriving marketplace. It has a booming economy. And the thing that has snared this church is not only some false doctrine... And part of that false doctrine being taught to the church is that godliness equates to wealth. Which if you turn on the TV, not that you're doing this, most of you probably don't even have cable anymore. But if you were watching Christian television, many of you could find a channel literally right now who is teaching that very thing. And it simply isn't true. Does God love to bless his people? Yes. Yes, he does. But he is not a slot machine that you can come to him like a casino night at Vegas and bring your chips to the table and say, well, I did this, I did this, and I did this. Pull the lever and somehow God's wealth now comes out for you. It doesn't work this way. Are some people blessed financially? Yes. But you can be just as much walking in God's blessing and be poor as someone who is walking in wealth and who is also blessed. Blessing does not mean wealth. It does not mean finance. It means that you are experiencing an abundance of God's presence and power in your life. That is God's blessing. 
Most people plan for their protection of their money. But we never plan for the protection of our hearts. And consequently, in an economy, in a culture, in a world that is hell-bent on making as much money as we can and being as successful as we can and being as busy as we possibly can so that we can make as much money as we possibly can. Our hearts are left unprotected and they drift and they wander. And if you're asking me, Pastor Andy, what is one of the reasons that the Western church has found itself weak in comparison to the global church around the world? I believe one of the reasons is because we have traded our love for Jesus, for the love of our wallets, and the love of our bank accounts. And we don't even have time for each other. We don't have time to look each other in the eye, to extend forgiveness, to grow, to deal with cultural issues. We just keep, we go and go and go and go and go. We sit in a church we think because we've attended that God is working in our lives. And that may be true. But what you have to do and I have to do is take a step back and really look at our heart. What do you love most? Is it Jesus? Is it God and his kingdom? Or is it being successful? Are you building wealth so that you don't really have to trust God anymore? If I'm going to be brutally honest, there, are, there have been so many moments in my life where I'm praying for an increase in money, for God to do some breaking through financially. But really, when I pull back the curtains, one of the things I've discovered is that what I'm really after is a life where I no longer have to pray and depend on God to be my provider. If I can just have a bank account with enough savings and enough wealth, money is good, church. Hear me. We, you need money. You need money. And everybody said, amen. You need some money. I get that. It's okay to pray for a better job. It's okay to desire a better job. And it's a good thing to desire to be successful. And to put yourself in a position to be promoted. But when your heart's affections, the very anchoring of your heart becomes that of money and getting better and growing and rising and promoting all the things that our world and culture celebrates, we've lost our first love. The definition of wander, if you, if you remember, 1 Timothy 6, Paul says that, that people, for, over the love of money, they've wandered from the faith. And they've pierced themselves with many griefs. They've wandered. They didn't run. They didn't sprint. They didn't charge away from the gospel or the message of who Jesus is as King and Lord. They didn't, they didn't do that. They wandered away. Meaning out of curiosity. A wandering is to walk or move in a leisurely, casual, or aimless way. That's what it means to wander. If you've ever seen a kid in the toy aisle at Walmart, and they're just kind of, you know, they have the slow, casual, 
They just look, and you can call their name, and they will never hear you. And my own children, I've tested this. I've tested it where they're in the toy aisle, and I've just, I've just walked away. You know, and I'm calling their name the entire time, and they, nobody hears me. Look at that Hot Wheels car. It's like amazing. I bet that goes so fast on that orange track. Look at that Lego set. Oh, my gosh, it's Ninjago. Oh, man, it's just amazing. Look at this. Look at that. And you just, you just wander away from who? From dad. If you've seen The Walking Dead, if that's your, your slice of entertainment, right? And you've ever seen, you know, the zombies, you know, kind of walking aimlessly and they're wandering. They don't have much, you know, they're, they're just kind of going. They're not paying much attention. They don't have brains, but somehow they want to eat brains. I, I don't even get it, whatever. But there is a wandering and aimless, just kind of purposeless going towards something. And money has this way of drawing us away from what matters absolutely most, and you begin to drift, and you begin to think, and you're aimless, and you wander, and you just think, man, that looks really good over there. I, if I just had, oh man, if I had that right over there, that'd just be, that'd be amazing. Andy, Andy, and, and you don't hear. You're just wandering away. And this is how people take off from faith in Jesus and true trusting in him, we get snared like a fish being caught in a silver shiny lure, just moseying along. And all of a sudden, you wake up and you're hooked. This is what it looks like. At 39 years of age, I've fallen for this many times. Laying awake at night thinking, how is this going to happen? What am I going to do? And there, I'm not to, telling you that there aren't prayerful and needed conversations. But what it reveals is that it has way too much of a grip on my heart. That this much of my life can be swayed by this or that. Chances are you're... You might be in a similar position. Chapter 6, verse 6 through, not, through 9. I'm going to back it up just a couple verses. Godliness with contentment, Paul writes, is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Paul is writing to leaders here. He's writing to people who would presume to lead and teach, but I've got great news for you. None of this is bad advice for you either. Let's read it one more time. Contentment, godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment. Be godly and be content. It does not come easily, does it? 
contentment is not easily found nowadays. And while I've said it a bajillion times, and I'll say it again, what exasperates a culture of discontentment is a culture in which you see a false presentation of everyone's life around you because of the internet. And you, you're not seeing, I read this morning, and I don't have the statistic on it, but people who post the happiest looking pictures on social media tend to be the unhappiest in real life. And someone tweeted out, tell me about a picture that you posted where how your real life looked and what you tweeted or what you posted didn't match up. And the amount of people who, who, who had the bravery to repost the, a picture from a year ago or six months ago. Here I am with my husband and what people don't know. And, the, and our, our perfect little marriage picture is that we're talking about divorce. We talked about it that morning. Here I am with my fun run jersey on and my, you know, number 288, and I finished my marathon, and what people didn't know is that I considered killing myself that morning. And the list just kept going and going and going. And when we speak of contentment, many times we are evaluating what we think we don't have based on the pictures and statuses that other people are posting, and we have no idea what their lives really look like. We have no idea. And so keeping up with the Joneses, and this person's that, and this person's car, and, and then it's my kids. I have to afford my children everything. I must, or I'm a poor father. I'm a poor husband. I, I, I have to give them a dog. I must. And then when I get a dog, I must have a fence. And when I have a fence, then I must, I must have a car to drive my children with their dog to school. And that car needs to look good because of all the other people's cars driving their kids to school. I've got to keep up with this. Otherwise, my kid will be that kid. And I've got to spend all this money and do all this thing. And I get home and I'm exhausted. And my heart has drifted, has wandered away, and I didn't even know it. And then when things like the offering come around at our church, well, I, don't, I can't really do that. I can't give to that. Well, I'm paying down my second house that I bought. Well, I can't do that because I invested so much in all of this over here and that over there. And I, I don't have the ability to be generous or be good with this area of my life. In fact, I need prayer. God, I need a breakthrough. Why do you need a breakthrough? Because you've allowed your heart to drift. And you've pursued that which can never satisfy. Once upon a time... A stonecutter lived all alone. Though he had acquired great skills, he was very poor. He lived in a tiny bamboo hut and wore tattered clothing. One day as the stonecutter worked with his hammer and chisel upon a huge stone, he heard a crowd gathering along the streets. And by their shouts, he could tell that the king was coming to visit. 
He was coming to visit his humble village. Joining in the procession, the stonecutter gazed on as the king, dressed in marvelous silk, was greeted by his subjects. Oh, how I wish I had the power and glory of the king, the stonecutter thought. He has soldiers at his command. There's no one more powerful. His cry was heard by God, and immediately the humble stonecutter was transformed into a powerful king. He found himself riding on a great horse, waving at the crowds of people who had flocked to see him in all of his glory and power. This is power, he thought. As the summer progressed, however, the, the new king watched the effects of the heat upon his people. Men and animals became weary. And plants withered upon the powerful rays of the Georgia sun. As he looked at the sky, the new king realized that the sun was more powerful than any earthly ruler. Oh, how I wish I were as powerful as that, he thought. I wish I were the sun. And immediately God granted his wish. The stonecutter relished his new role as the sun. He gloried in the power he felt as he surveyed the kingdoms below. As he sent his bright rays to earth, he watched kings and princes hide under their parasols. He watched as powerful warriors became weak under his gaze. Even the crops in the field were under his command. Then one day, a tiny cloud moved over the land, shielding the earth from the sun's bright rays, seeing that here was something more powerful. He thought, I want very much to be a cloud. And again, his wish was granted. Now he blocked the sun's rays and he felt important. He gathered all his strength, becoming a gigantic cloud, and began to pour down rain on the earth. Rivers formed where previously there were none, and water flooded the streets of the cities and the farmland. Everything, trees, animals, people, seemed to be awed by his power. Only the massive rocks were unswayed. There is nothing he thought as powerful as a rock. How I wish I were a huge stone. And his wish was granted. As a stone, he remained motionless and powerful, unmoved by sun, wind, or rain. He felt exempt from all the forces that shaped the existence of those around him. And then one day, a man approached carrying a bag. And when he stopped, he pulled out a chisel and a hammer. And he began to chip away at the rock, realizing that the man with the tools was more powerful than any rock. He cried out, oh, how I want to be a stonecutter. And once again, God heard his cry, and he became a stonecutter. He lived in a bamboo hut and made his living with hammer and chisel. And he was content. One of the most pervasive lies our culture has embraced, including the church, is the disease of, if I just, 
if I just had a better car, if I just had a better house, if I just had a better job, more money. You've heard me say this before, that praying for God to move in those areas is a good thing. But if we are waiting to be content, if we're waiting to have joy, if we're waiting to be happy with the life God has afforded us, when certain things align, we will miss it because they don't truly satisfy the longing that's deep inside of your heart. Be content. Godliness with contentment is great gain. It's not a stuff issue. It's a heart issue. But you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ who while testifying before Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot, without blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen and no one can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. What is Paul saying? He, he's saying to be content, yet he uses all these action words, fight the good fight. Keep the good confession. Take hold of eternal life. Keep, take, fight. Be content where God has placed you, but never content where you've placed God. Be content with what God has given you, but never be content with where you have this relationship with God. You've got to fight for it. If you're not careful, you'll wander off the reservation. You'll wander down the aisle and your heart will give its love and its affection to something else. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Do you know that God wants you to enjoy your life? He does. He doesn't want you stressed at night. He doesn't want you panicking, full of anxiety, fear, and bondage, especially to money. He's given you a great life and he's given it to you for your enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. 
In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. There is a life that you can take hold of that actually isn't life at all. It's what the world tells you is life. And I have fallen for the same cheap shot, leg sweeping moment time and time again. And chances are you have too. And even if it's not tied to money or wealth, it's easy for your heart to drift and to latch itself onto something else, thinking that that's the thing that will truly bring satisfaction and joy. But there is a life that does not truly bring life. And this morning, we are about our Father's business. And that is that you and I would experience the life that is, in fact, truly life. And that life is found in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. He is the son of the living God. He lives in unapproachable light. There is no one like him. The scriptures say that he is marvelous, wonderful, too incredible for our eyes to even behold. He is the, the perfect picture of holiness, having never sinned, yet giving his life for those who have for those who are prone to wander for those who are prone to sink their teeth into all the wrong things and to give their life to things that aren't truly life well today as we close our series on the book of Timothy what if we turned our affections back to Jesus what if you sitting here, teenager, husband, wife, man, woman, child, what if you made a decision today to put your hope in Christ and Christ alone? I think you'd experience true life. That's what I think. Stand to your feet. Be content where God has placed you, church. But don't be content where you've placed God. And if you've put God in a place that he doesn't deserve, it's time to do business today. It's time to turn away to steer that wandering heart back to its true affections, to Jesus. Father, we thank you that you are good and loving and gracious to us, that you are kind, and it is your kindness, Lord, that draws us to repentance. You are so kind to us, Lord. How many times I've made a mockery Jesus, of what it looks like to truly trust you and to really follow you. Allowing my life to be swayed by the winds of the day 
God, would you forgive us? Forgive me, Lord. For having a heart that has wandered or lost sight of what's truly right and true and good. If you're standing here today and you just, you know, this is your, this is you. Your heart has wandered and you need to put your affections back on Jesus. You need him to be the first love of your life. Here's what I'm asking you to do right where you're standing. I want you to pray and pray and mean it. Say, Jesus, I thank you that you are the love of my life. Today, I choose you over everything else. Jesus above everything else. Forgive me, Lord, for giving my heart to so many other things, for being swayed by so many other things. I turn to you this morning. And I thank you that you are the king of my heart, the Lord of my emotions. And you are the peace of my life. It's in your mighty name we pray, amen.